Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome once again to History Dweebs. I am Tim and the topic of our podcast today is the very talented singer, Sam Cooke. We're going to talk about Sam's uh, career and uh, his untimely death. He died at a very young age. We're going to get into all that in just a few moments. But before we do, let me introduce my co-host for today's podcast, the uh, man who is uh, very familiar with the music scene, a man of very, uh, very many talents, uh, a man who is... Well, person who is probably the most dangerous man in podcasting today, and that's the Honorable Colonel Charles Beauregard Hawkwaters III, affectionately known as the Southern Gentleman. How are you today, Colonel? Well, thank you for that kind introduction, Timmy. I'm I'm doing very very well. Well, you know, I I can I can do a proper introduction when I'm not distracted by our other panelist. But have you ever noticed that every time you try to say something nice about me? <clears throat> She's got a interrupt, cough, yeah, or sigh, sigh, or roll eyes. Yeah, it doesn't always it doesn't always come across on the. Our listeners can always tell it, but she's out there, you know, making faces, you know, putting a finger down her throat. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Brandy's not showing her breasts. Sometimes she lifts her shirt. Sometimes, yeah. you know, she's she's got a lot of beads. Mm-hmm. But uh, Brandy's not with us today, so we when Brandy's not with us, we try to do like high level intellectual type high of talk. Brow stuff. Yeah, we can yeah. do. Yeah. We don't have to do the the all the the gruesomeness because you know yeah. Brandy. She thrives on slaughter and murder and you know all those terrible things. She's. I think she gets a peculiar sexual excitement. Out yeah, of it I've noticed. I've noticed that. I've noticed her heavy breathing when we get yeah. when we talk about some of these gory yeah. when details. When we did Carl Pan's rap. Oh yeah, she was off the wall. She was I, off. The, she yeah. was crazy. I know. I thought that. Uh, <clears throat> I, I thought somebody had slipped a girl a Spanish fly, Timmy. <laughs> She just, she just seemed crazy. to get off. She got over excited on Eggine too. Oh, she Albert Fish. Yeah, oh, Albert, Albert Fish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't want to. Th- you know, I I couldn't tell from my vantage point, but it I she looked to be doing something over there. I don't know what it was during Albert Fish. But. <laughs> she was, that's where we got all the. Remember the mic was there was always that. Yeah, thing. yeah. I was like, what the hell are you doing over there? Yeah, dude? I'm not sure what she was doing, but Brandy will be joining us again next week. She's on vacation this week and probably <clears throat> probably uh, smoking dope or or probably laying in a hang you know laying in a opium den somewhere. I think she's gone to Evil Spawn Con. Oh, oh yeah. is that double that, spot? Yeah, probably. whatever. Yeah, so uh, she's, but you know, whatever she's at, I'm sure she's worshiping Satan. So 
Brandy, um, I hope you're having a good time on your vacation. Even and we still we haven't had young Brittany here forever. Hopefully, we get that girl back. But um, yeah, I like to. I, I, I you know she was a voice of reason, young Brittany. She was. She, she was. She was a smart girl. She, now she was alcoholic. Well, she was an alcoholic. She had questionable moral character. Yeah. Um, well, I don't think there was any question about that. No, no, there was not much question. I mean, <laughs> you, you put three beers in the girl, and she's, she's dancing well, around with one shoe on. Yeah, but. but we do miss young Brittany. We hope she comes back and at least from time to time to do a podcast with us. Uh, Colonel, do you have any shout-outs before we get into Sam Cook? I got my, my standard three. Okay. Um, I got my uh, my Lady Beverly. Mm-hmm. Lady um, Beverly. I miss Lady Beverly's updates on yeah. uh, British history. So I know she's been uh, she's been busy, but uh, Lady Beverly, if you um, get some time, we loved your uh, British history updates on the History Tree page. I would give Rutabaker a shout out, but he said he will no longer listen to this podcast until he is a proper a proper. Uh, presentation is done on him. Well, we might have some time to talk about <clears throat> Mount Rudy later on. Maybe and maybe. and you you got the uh, pointy end of my wife last night to me. Well, you know, you was criticizing her baby. I I you know I was not criticizing Rudy. I just wasn't going to do a podcast on him. Now, if she wants to talk to someone about someone criticizing Rudy, you need to talk to the devil. Well, yeah, she's looking for the devil right now. Because Brandy she, is she, hostile to Rudy. I'm just neutral. She's just outside. Yeah, she. But the wife is getting across a crucifix and some garlic, and she's going to come she's after good, the devil. Yeah, she's you know because Brandy's been casting spells on Rudy. If you know, I know, if you, if you ever I see, know. you know, if you ever have to get an exorcism or whatever, it's because of Brandy. So, well, and you know, the good thing, Brandy is. I mean, she's a vessel of evil. Yeah. Um, but if she, if there's one good thing about this whole thing, is she lazy? Yeah, she that's lazy, Timmy. Yeah, that's true. So she ain't, you know, she might She's say, not motivated. <clears throat> no, nah, she'd say I'll cast a spell She's on not her. a very motivated um, uh, evil spirit. Yeah. She's, She's just, just lazy. A lazy evil spirit. She'd rather sit around, play Xbox, smoke cigarettes, and drink beer. Yeah. She does that well. Mm-hmm. You know, you should focus on things you excel at. Now, uh, but if you see Rudy's head starting to turn around and he starts vomiting and things. You yeah, know, it's the devil. Yeah, it's, <clears throat> it's Brandy. And I got, of course, Dottie Scott. Who, uh, yeah, she gave me hell about Rudy too. She saw his picture and, uh, why don't you like Rudy? It's not that I don't like Rudy, I'm just not going to do a podcast on Rudy. Well, and you know, and just to clarify, clarify something for the listeners, I got a, uh, I got a lot of grief about that raccoon picture you put up there. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like Donald Trump and Ted Cruz. If you hit me, I'm going to hit you back harder. I got a lot of grief about the raccoon picture, and I'm going to say this. The raccoon, the raccoon was on my porch. He was at my front door, and I told him, please leave, Mr. Raccoon. And he damn near attacked me and tried to shoo me off the porch. Then I left. Mm-hmm. And said, I'm coming back in five minutes with a baseball bat. And I get off my damn porch. I came back, and the son bitch showed me his teeth and swung his paws at me. <laughs> and they got those little fingers like yeah. people. Well, you shouldn't have threatened him because then he fell. He broke his hip. Now he has had a hip replacement. Now he's, ha- he's having he had some liver damage. Now he's on the donor list. I think he's 192 last time I looked. Last the, time I heard he had a staph infection. He got and, the MRSA. Yeah, so, you know, all of that as a result of your, you know, threat. Don't threaten the colonel. 
So anyway, let's um, okay. Uh, you got a bunch of shout outs. I do. You? I want to shout out the folks who are on our history uh, dweebs the podcast page. We have two history dweebs uh, Facebook pages. We have the history dweebs page, the general page where we, you know, we put today and this date in history and that sort of thing. Uh, and then we have the uh, Facebook page is dedicated just to the folks who listen to the podcast, and that's the History Dreams podcast page. And that's a group, and we encourage you to join it. And it's growing, and there's a lot of cool people there. But I want to give some shout-outs, and I'm probably going to miss someone. And if I do, I'm sorry. I just want to run through some shout-outs real quick because uh, it's really fun having these folks on board and um, getting, you know, learning about them, and um, they, they're a real, real fun group. So I'm going to run down these very quickly. Um, we want to thank uh, for listening Stephanie Q, uh, Elise, who we're doing this podcast for. She demanded. Elise, you demanded Sam yeah. Cook, you get Sam Cook. Yeah, because, you know. I, and, I, you know, I, I'm wondering, does Elise have some dirt on you or something? No, she's just a very. She blackmailing you. She's a very nice lady, and she demanded it. So I kind of respond to women who are very demanding. Oh, yeah. Catch uh, over in Denmark, the lovely Katja. Thank you for listening. We have Frances. Uh, Trixie, who's a lot of fun. She's from... Trixie, I'm pretty sure, might be crazy. I think she's a communist, but I kind of like that. I That's like a, the communist part, yeah, but yeah. I think she's crazy. Yeah, but uh, she seems like a lot of fun. Uh, Tasha, who is a, I found out, studied 6th century European... Yes, she did. She's uh, a very, history. So she's a historian. You, every, you, <clears throat> and a real historian, besides, you know, not... Well, like us, of course. It's amazing. You look at some people, and you can tell by looking at her, she's just a bright girl. Yeah, yeah she's a very, very bright smart. girl. So, uh, Tasha, thank you for listening. Um, Chris and, of course, Brittany. Uh, I, did you know they're a couple? Yes, yes. I yeah. Yeah, uh, a fine couple. Uh, so thank you both for listening. Um, Allie, of course, you know. The, now, that's one crazy-ass woman. Yeah, right she is a, you know. Uh, she is a potential serial killer, and we'll be doing her podcast on her one day. I'm sure. I'm sure we will. Yeah. If she don't get us first. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's, let's hope that we. Yeah. She says she's coming to the U.S. So, um, and uh, you know, we hope we hope we get to see her, but you know, without weapons. Um, Kim Taylor, of course, your good friend Kim Taylor. You know, and you know, Kim. I'll tell you something interesting about her. Not interesting so much, but she's a mean girl. What do you mean she's mean? Just a mean, mean girl to me. Well, occasionally, in, you know, interacting with people, and it seems like it's mostly women that follow us for some reason. Um, I will get, you know, personal messages in my mm-hmm. inbox, uh, mm-hmm. people asking, mostly asking for life advice, life coaching. Oh, really? Do you get a lot of that? Phenomenal. Yeah, I get a lot <laughs> I of that. Yes, you do. And... Uh, and uh, someone has to be really screwed up if they're coming to you for life advice. And I, so Kim had sent me something. And I said, "Well, if you want my advice," and she responded back, "If I wanted your advice, I would ask for your damn advice." <laughs> now shut up, stupid. And so, I mean, while sounds like a pretty she, bright lady. <laughs> well, you know, did you see the picture she posted on her page? Um, she looks like such a sweet. Pleasant you know, girl. Well, she is sweet. She doesn't want your damn two cents. If I wanted your damn advice, I'd ask I you mean, for your she, advice. We have some very uh, strong-willed ladies in our brain. <laughs> we certainly do. <laughs> so, Kim, take, take your go. Take so it. you were trying to be like this father figure. Yeah, yeah I'm trying to guide her. And she's yeah. like, if I wanted your damn advice, I'd ask for it. Now, shut up. 
But uh, so can get you a massage or something. I don't know. She may have had the PMS. I don't know. Yeah, she's she's really into history too. So she posted some cool stuff on the page. Um, she she's a big fan of history. Um, Marvin down under. Yeah, down, got down, down under under Marvin, watch out for Allie. Um, <laughs> he goes. He says he listens to us when he takes walks on the beach. So, you know, you can listen to us, but you know, kind of always keep an eye over your shoulder. Well, and you know, the shame for the axe-willing Allie. You want to say, hey, you know, Marvin, we got another Aussie listener down there, Allie. Mm-hmm. You guys should, you know, meet. I don't know what their marital situation. No, are. Marvin's married. Oh, okay. Marvin is so, married. Yeah. But you know. He, he, it's like you kind of would like to say, "Hey, you, you know, hook somebody up with Allie." I think I don't think she's married because she's a pretty girl, yeah. Allie. But you know, she's going to kill somebody. Yeah, she's going to kill somebody at so. some point. And then we'll do a podcast on her. Uh, M from uh, Nottingham, England, over there with the Robin Hood. Uh, Erica. Erica, crazy too. Yeah, she's a nice lady. And Brandy McKenzie, uh, Jessica, Nikki P, Tara who just recently joined our podcast page, Amy Carroll, Mary Ray, Annette, Alicia, and John C. So I hope I'm not, I'm sure I'm leaving someone out. If I am, I'm really sorry. Um, uh, Barry and Barry, my friends from Portsmouth, they're on the page and they're active Barry's as well. Barry's an interesting guy. And, yeah. and we talked about Brittany and Tim um, being a couple. And Brittany, uh, I occasionally will interact with, with her um, while Tim likes to watch. Tim likes to watch soccer on TV. Mm-hmm. And uh, Brittany, we're going to give you a chance to come clean before the devil spills the dirt on you, or before the colonel spills the dirt. You on You have you. dirt on Brittany. Give me I got Chris, dirt on Brittany. Chris. No, got dirt. Chris knows the dirt on. Oh, Brittany. okay. okay. Um, so we're going to give you a chance to come clean on the page before you. Uh, what? And then you know you got me curious. This is like a, a, like a Donald Trump type of threat to Ted Cruz. It is. I'm leaving it out there mysteriously. Okay, so um, you're you're just you're, you're just throwing bombs, basically. I'm throwing bombs. See where they landed. Seeing if you if know who we this, forgot, Celine. Oh, you know what? Celine just gotten damn mean. <laughs> she just a mean, <laughs> mean Celine. She, I, yeah, I spell. I, I, I answered her in a post. Got a name wrong. Now who in the hell? <laughs> First of all, you the ones don't learn how to spell your name right. You learn how to spell your damn name right. It's got see, an I see, then, see, Celine. So you think she's her name is spelled wrong? Well, you think she spells her own name she wrong? She spelled her own name wrong, and she, then she got all nasty with me. It's like me saying spelling my name C H. A W L E S Charles, right? So, and then saying you spelled my name wrong. No, you. Uh, it's uh, well, my wife. My wife's right. a good example. The the male version of Renee is R E N E, right? And the female is R E N E E, right? But you know, Renee's mom being just half ignorant, no, three quarters ignorant, <laughs> um, nice. didn't know how to spell, so she spelled her name R E N E. And uh, Renee will say the same thing. I wish people would learn how to spell my name. No, you learn how to spell your damn name. Tell your mama to learn how to spell your damn name. We forgot Charlie and Jennifer and Jessica. I think I said Jessica. So those are a couple that we forgot as well. So if I, I forgot, what, I'm uh, sorry. It's Charlie just a, has a little bit of a blog and. Uh, Roger is an interesting guy too. He's on our. He's active on our podcast yeah. page. Yeah. So, but I'll tell you, Charlie's an amazing writer. 
Amazing yeah, she is. Right. Yeah, and uh, her podcast is really good. Scott, of course, he has his own podcast, the um, Bastards of the mm-hmm. Universe, and then Scotty J's history. Uh, Scott's still history drinking. Podcast. No, he's not drinking. He just came down. He did. Uh, he, he came down and visited all over Ohio. He, he, I know we did get to see him. I know, but he uh, went to all like uh, he went to uh, um, Grant's uh, President Grant's uh, birthplace, and then he went to um, the tomb of. James Garfield. I mean, he was all over Ohio, so he just—I think he's just uh, uh, kind of getting over that trip. But anyway, let's get started talking about Sam Cooke, um, who I know you're a big music fan, Colonel. I'm a big music fan. Sam Cooke was one of the. Uh, Sam Cooke was a guy that every every white guy aspired to have a voice like Sam. Yeah, Cook. his his voice was very smooth. Mm-hmm. And of course, he's most remem- remembered for hits like "You Send Me." Uh, probably his famous, most famous. When you say you send me, um, I'd say another Saturday night. Okay, another Saturday night was another one of his hits. Mm-hmm. Twisting the night away, Cupid. You know, Cupid. Yeah. Draw back your bow. Um, Sam Samuel Cook was born in Clarksdale, Mississippi, on January twenty second, nineteen thirty one. Which, of course, you know what that means. Pregnant during the holidays. De- his mother definitely was pregnant during the holidays. Um, he was the fifth of eight children born to his father, who was a minister, Reverend, Reverend, Reverend Charles Cook, and his wife, Annie May. Uh, the family moved into Chicago when um, Scott, or Scott, Sam, Sam Cook was just uh, two years old in 1933, so kind of like at the height of the Depression, they moved to Chicago. He attended elementary school there, Doolittle Elementary, and then the Wendell Phillips Academy High School in Chicago. And that's the same school that Nat King Cole had attended just a few years prior. Okay. Yeah. He started, um, Sam started to sing professionally. Well, he started to sing in church at a very young age. Of course, you know, being the son of a minister, um, he attended church a lot. And he started to sing professionally in a group at the age of six called the Singing Children. So he got an early start. He uh, and of course. Now, they, do you think that he was the one that Dusty Springfield was singing about? The only one that could ever reach me was the son of a preacher. <laughs> I don't. Maybe, maybe. I like that song. Um, he uh, was six years old when he started singing professionally with a group called the Singing Children. They sang gospel songs. In his teen, he formed his own group called the Highway QCs. I'm not sure what the QCs stood for, but um, they modeled their. Um, you know their style after the uh, mo- uh, the most popular gospel group uh, in the country at the time called the Soul Stirrers. They were the, you know they were like the number one gospel group. Um, so they kind of modeled their uh, style after this group because this group was well known and uh, very popular at the time. Um, so he became the lead singer uh, in his teens of the Highway QCs. Um, and during that time, he befriended a fellow gospel singer and a neighbor of his named, you know? I do not know, Timmy. Lou Rawls. No kidding. Yeah. And he said Lou Rawls sang in a... Lou uh, was small, too. Yeah, he, he was smooth. He sang in a, an arrival gospel group at the time. All these guys started in gospel, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, even guys like B.B. King. I mean, they all started uh, singing what they call spiritual spirituals. And then uh, they moved on to rock and roll or blues or what, you know, what what have you. In 1950, uh, when Sam Cooke was 19 years old, 
He replaced the um, gospel tenor, R.H. Harris, as the lead singer for the gospel group, The Soul Stirrer. So he got, you know, not only did he uh, catch a break, uh, but he got on, uh, into the group that, you know, he was, you know, that he admired the most. Um, so he got, uh, and this group had a record with uh, specialty records, so um, it was a big deal. I mean, this was a big gospel group at the time. And they toured on a uh, what was known as the Gospel Highway, which were just a small towns, uh, churches, and events all over the country. And they toured almost year-round. And in the summer, they would tour in, up north. And then, you know, in the wintertime, they would tour down south. And um, he not only, uh, Sam not only... Uh, uh, sang, but he also started writing songs. He was per, a prolific uh, songwriter. Uh, so uh, he started bring gospel to the attention of, because Sam was such a, you know, he was 19 at the time, He started they started drawing younger crowds, including a lot of young girls who would come to see the soul stirrers play or sing because, you know, to get a glimpse at Sam Cooke because he was a handsome young guy. And uh, so he was kind of a heartthrob of the Gospel Highway at the time, uh, but despite his success, uh, I mean, he was at top of the world in terms of gospel music. Um, he wanted more. He wanted to do crossover music. Now, at the time, that was really frowned upon. You know, especially for him coming from a family uh, where his father was a minister, um, singing popular music uh, was frowned on, frowned upon in the gospel circles. He's like, either you sing gospel or you know, you were wasting God's talent, right? Uh-huh. If you were singing the yeah. devil, the devil's music, right? Um, and so, those who had talent, such as uh, Sam, was expected to use that talent to praise God. But Stan, uh, Sam got grew tired of life on the road with the in the gospel circuit, and uh, he really wanted a new breakout as a crossover artist. But he. He was scared to do so because he was afraid that he would fail, and if he did, uh, he wouldn't be accepted back uh, with the gospel crowd, right? If he, so he recorded uh, a song in 1956 entitled Lovable. It was his first big hit, and it was a remake of a gospel song called Wonderful. It was released under the alias Dale Cook in order so he wouldn't you know, kind of alienate his gospel fan base. Mm-hmm. And uh, but it really didn't fool anyone because his unique was I mean his voice was so unique and his his you know had distinctive vocals so it was easy for people to recognize. Now the head of especially record, records uh, who had the label you know with the label in which Soul Stirrers were on uh, became um, you know upset at first but finally gave uh, Sam his blessing for him to do what they call secular music. Um, but, you know, he was disappointed in Sam for not, you know, for not sticking with the uh, gospel. And he thought he would be doing secular music in, in the lines of Little Richard, who crossed over a, a yeah. little bit before then. Um, but, you know, Sam, Sam loved all type of music. So when um, this uh, head of specialty records, Rupe, walked in on a recording session, he heard Sam covering a Gershwin song. He got really upset, and there was an argument between the two, and in, which what eventually happened, uh, Sam left the label, and he left the gospel um, highway behind and moved, you know, moved on full-time into uh, a contract with RCA Records in 1960, 
and he would go on to start his own publishing company uh, later on. Um, and he was a Sam was a smart businessman. I mean, you know, he's a young guy, right? He's twenty years old, but he would uh, he got ownership of his master recordings. He uh, made a contract that he'd get ma- uh, ownership of his master recordings after thirty years. Yeah, and now, that was that was a big big deal back then. Oh, it sure was. Now, you know, of course, Sam did not live long enough to re- yeah. reap the benefits of it, but a lot of artists back in those days got screwed by their manager or by the record company who would tie them in into these contracts and basically they would you know they would write to music and whatever and they right. have no absolutely no rights no to control them. to them yeah so um, Sam would not go for that he he was a tough negotiator and he made sure that he would get the rights at least eventually it was a you know a remarkable uh, feat for any recording artist at the time I mean even guys like Frank Sinatra and them they they, mm-hmm. they they would have a hard time getting that deal in 1957 uh, Cook appeared on his first time on TV on a Guy Mitchell show, uh, and um, that was shortly. Uh, shortly then, he released uh, "You Send Me," uh, which, of course, is like we said, probably one of his most signature hits. He spent it spent six weeks at number one on the Billboard R&B charts. The song also had a crossover mainstream success, spending um, three weeks at number one on the Billboard pop charts. In 1961, um, Sam started his own record label. Again, he's, he's a young guy here. You know, he's in his early 20s. Started his own record label with uh, called SAR Records, um, and uh, the label soon started signing stars like the Sim Twins, the Valentinos, uh, Bobby, which was Bobby Womack and his brothers, Johnny Taylor. I mean, they had some uh, some hits. Um, now, one of his first hits, Chain Gang, reached number two on the Billboard charts in the early 60s. It was followed by Sad Mood, Cupid, which we talked about, Bring It Home, with Lou Rawls doing backup <clears throat> vocals. Yeah. Another Saturday Night, and Twisting the Night Away. In all, um, he had uh, Sam Cooke in his short lifetime, had 29 top 40 hits. I mean, that was a lot. I mean, he was just oh, a yeah. pr- prolific songwriter and recorder and, and the interesting thing about that being so prolific um, is you have few singer songwriters in that time sure I mean that were putting out top 40 hits right you know you had the you had the uh, like Tim Pan Alley type situations mm-hmm. where you had you had your performers and you had your songwriters right and then and, you know, I mean you would have some I mean you'd have people like you know I guess a little before that Buddy Holly yeah but they were rare they were they rare, were rare right? and they were not nearly as prolific right as, as him yeah he was just I mean he was writing all the time performing all the time um, in spite of releasing mostly singles singles he released a well received blues album in 1963 called Night Beat and and it was became one of his most critically acclaimed albums. Um, Ain't That the Good News was the name of the album, and it featured five singles in 1964. Um, in 1963, um, he signed with King Records, uh, so he's back uh, under another label. He negotiated a five-year deal with RCA, which was one of their holding companies, um, and uh, in... He got uh, exclusive distribution rights to his music and 6% royalty payments uh, for the recording session. So he was a smart businessman, as we said. For tax reasons, he, he got some of it. He, he made it so it would be deferred 
over two years. So he ended up making like uh, for that signing like 175 grand. So at age of 33, Sam Cooke was on top of the music world. Well, <clears throat> now something happened. That all changed in December of 1964. Yeah. So now he's at the point that he's, he's 33. He's 33. He's at the pinnacle of his career. Yeah. Um, you know, he's a star and. He's already he's made a lot of money. Yeah. He's already had a lot of hits. He's in he's control in, of everything, and which is rare for yeah. you know, a person in his position. Well, and let's face it, thing. a person of his, you know, of, of his race, too. Well, I mean, true. I mean, he had not only uh, well, not only the talent and not only uh, the fame, the fortune, everything, the success, but he also was in control of of, of his own career. Well, back in those days, they were, I mean, it was just notorious for for record companies and managers and promoters and whatnot to just rip off the artists. Yeah. But this was especially true when it came to the black artists. Yeah, um, especially. Because they had less recourse than even the white artists had. Exactly. Um, and so they would get tied <clears throat> into very, uh, I mean, they would get ripped off, basically. Yeah. They would get totally ripped off. And Sam Cooke had put himself in a position where that could not happen to him. Mm-hmm. He, was, he was basically... <clears throat> I don't know. I don't know if there's a comparison to be made, um, you know, for that time. I mean, he was he was he was really a pioneer in that. Really, I guess the only comparison to be made is the Beatles. Yeah, you know, who Probably. controlled their own destiny. Sure. So he's he's in that position. Everything's good. Everything's, Everything's good. great. And mm-hmm. then all of a sudden, as things happen in this world, something takes a bizarre turn. Okay. And on. The early hours of December 11th, 1964, um, Sam Cooke had been out that night drinking a lot at a Los Angeles bar where he met a woman named Alyssa, Eliza Boyer. Okay. Now, the pair headed it off <clears throat> and eventually ended up at the Hacienda Motel. Okay, so this was uh, probably out. They were probably out drinking. He picks this girl up, meets this girl. They go to a hotel. Mm-hmm. Now, there's only two people involved, and so nobody knows, but they had some type of altercation in the room, mm-hmm. and Cook ended up in the motel's office where he has this big clash with the motel manager, okay? Mm-hmm. And there's um, the motel's manager is Bertha Franklin. Yeah, she's an... Uh I looked at these the photos of the mm-hmm. the woman he was with. I, I think she was a young she she appeared to be a she, young Asian yeah, American. She, yeah, and then uh, Bertha was an older African American. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Cook comes storming in, um, and the motel manager Bertha Franklin shot Sam Cook and killed him and killed him at the age Cook. of. 33. 33. He died from an injury. The manager claimed it was inflicted in self-defense and was later, later, they ruled it a justifiable homicide, Timmy. And there was some strange stuff with this this murder. Yeah, there was, the police had separate reports at this hotel of a shooting and a kidnapping. Mm -hmm. And police found um, Cook's body clad only in a sports jacket and shoes, but no shirt, pants, or underwear. 
Well, that sounds like uh, your Saturday night, Colonel. Well, it does. It does sound like another Saturday <laughs> night, like a Sam Cooke song, Colonel. <laughs> right. Another Saturday night, but, yeah, with no, but the man's uh, got no only pants and one <laughs> shoe, a sports jacket, no drawers, no pants, no underwear. Yeah. He got a gunshot wound to the chest, which pierced his heart. Now, the motel manager, Bertha Franklin, said she had shot Cook in self-defense after he broke into the office residence and attacked her. Her account was immediately questioned and disputed by friends and acquaintances of Sam Cook. Uh, yeah, because it wasn't his nature. No, it was not in his nature. Now, the official police record states that Franklin fatally shot Cook, who had checked in earlier that evening. Now, Franklin claims <clears throat> that Cook had broken into the manager's office in a rage wearing nothing but a shoe mm-hmm. and a sports coat, demanding to know the whereabouts of a woman who had accompanied him to the hotel. Right. So what if something happened in the Yeah, something happened. Yeah. Frank, now, Franklin said that the woman was not in the office, and she told Cook this, but Cook was enraged. He didn't believe her, and he violently grabbed her, demanding to know the woman's whereabouts. Now, according to Bertha Franklin, there's only two people here, so we got one side of the story. And she one of them's dead. And one of them's dead. Right. So she grappled, she wrestled with Cook. The two of them fell to the floor. She got up and ran and retrieved a gun. Cook followed her, and she turned and fired a, sh- a shot at Cook in self-defense, and it hit him in the torso. And his last words were, Lady, you shot me. That was appropriate, I guess. <laughs> yeah, but here's where it gets interesting. Okay. Rather than it's interesting shoot, right now. <laughs> he fell mortally wounded to the floor, but rather than shoot him again... Mm-hmm. She grabbed a broom and beat him over the head with a broomstick. Oh, that's just that's just mean. Spirited. That's just mean spirit. <laughs> I mean, the man's laying there on the floor bleeding, and you're beating him with a broomstick. Yeah. That sounds like something the devil do. Yeah, she would. I mean, she would. add insult to injury. Why? Why? I don't um, know. Beat him get, with a broomstick. Get, get out, shake her salt, and pour it. Yeah, in just pour it in there. Yeah. Or yeah. Tell your dog to come in and piss on him or something. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, now, the motel's owner, Evelyn Carr, claimed that she had been on the telephone with Franklin at the time of this incident. Um, so there was some corroboration there. Mm-hmm. Carr claimed um, that she heard over, she had overheard Cook um, break She was a near witness. She was a near witness, that's right. So they had a coroner's inquest. Um, now, the woman who had accompanied that Cook to the hotel was identified as Eliza Boyer. Mm-hmm. Now, she had also called the police that night shortly before um, Carhead, mm-hmm. Brother Carr, the manager. Boyer claimed had called from a telephone booth near the motel telling them she had, been, she had just escaped being kidnapped. So what she's saying is Sam Cook kidnapped her and she just escaped this hotel. So she claimed that she was out with Cook after they left a local nightclub together. She repeatedly requested that he take her home, but instead took her against her will to the Hacienda Motel. She claimed that once in one of the motel's rooms, Cook physically forced her onto the bed and that she was certain he was going to rape her. And this is where it gets a little little cloudy. Now think about, I mean, just follow it through logist, you know, logically. Okay. Um, according to her, when Sam Cook stepped into now he's he's got a pin to the bed, right? Right. And it, wait, let's, let's step back. This is someone he met in a bar. He met at a bar. He, he went brings to her a, home. Wait, he brings her to a cheap motel. Mm-hmm. Right? If you see the pictures of the hotel, yeah, it's, it's like, a shady ass. It's hotel. a shady hotel. Right. Even you know, 
even by the devil's standards. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, it was, uh, you know, a low uh, a budget type of hotel. But go ahead. So what she's saying here is Sam Cooke got on the bed. Mm-hmm. He's forced on the bed. She's certain she's going to get raped. But then he gets up and for some reason goes to the bathroom. Okay. Okay? Mm-hmm. Now, we know he's naked. Right. Well, you got a sports coat on. Well, <laughs> he put his sports coat on a little bit after that. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Okay, I see. So she's sure she's going to get raped, but then he gets up and goes to the bathroom and she escapes. Okay? Yeah. And this is her story. This is what she said. Now, according to her, she quickly grabbed, when he went into the bathroom, she quickly grabbed her clothes and ran from the room. Now, she said in her haste, she had also scooped up most of Cook's clothing by mistake. And and this is another one. I, and you know you have to be careful. You know, rape is a terrible thing. No means no. Exactly. Um, well, no means most of the time. No means no. Sometimes right. you know. It means make me harder. Is that what you're saying? Some it does. It yeah. does. But you run, you run your risk when you do that. <laughs> you do. But I mean, okay. What what she's saying is he's forcing himself on her. Mm. And I and I guess the clothes could have all ended up in one pile. But that seems. Um, there's a lot of unanswered questions here, and, right? And, you know, and that that's one theory is that she he was going to, or maybe she got there. She was ha- she meant to go there with him voluntarily and decided and, to get out, or or maybe he started acting crazy or something. Maybe, and then um, she decided I got to get away from this guy, and uh, maybe she said I'm going to grab his clothes on purpose so he can't chase me. I mean, that, well, I that's a well she. There's a lot of there's a few different speculations here, mm-hmm. and one is that she, um, they had sex, mm-hmm. um, and she robbed him, mm-hmm. um, and it took off with his clothes. Or they didn't have sex, and or they didn't have sex, and she robbed him. Right. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of different things could have happened there, or she she might be telling the truth. Now, let's um, say if you're Sam Cook, you go to you go to your your. You're getting uh, physical with this young lady in the bed, and then you get up and you go to the restroom, and then you walk out, and your 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 clothes are all gone. Mm-hmm. Probably your wallet. Your wallet. And yeah, yeah you're going to run you're out. Where, where, yeah, where is this woman? Mm-hmm. And your first place you're going to check is is she down at this manager's office? Now, 
Granted, it wasn't a smart thing to do. Yeah, no. But you could see running around with just a sport jacket on with the tallywhacker flapping. Yeah, in the wind you probably want to put a towel yeah. on or something. But you could see maybe he was in a rush to try to you know maybe she was ripping him off and she he was trying to find her, or her story is correct. He was going to rape her, and she just grabbed up at her clothes, ended up grabbing his, or grabbed his on purpose so she couldn't he couldn't follow her. Yeah, and hightailed it out of there, got to a phone booth and called the police. But something put him into a rage. Right. And that, you know, that got him shot. Mm -hmm. And that's what's kind of interesting about this whole thing, that a lot of things just don't add up. Mm -hmm. Um, But she claimed that she had scooped up. Now, she said she first ran to the manager's office, beat on the door, but the manager didn't answer. Um, So she took off, fearing Cook would soon be coming after her. She fled from the motel before the manager ever got there. Then she put her clothing on. So she's got her clothes on. She hid Sam Cook's clothing, went to a telephone booth, and called the police. Now, here's where it gets weird again. If she's robbing him, why is she calling the police? I don't think you call the police if you're robbing him. Right. So what has sent him into a rage? You know, that's one of those questions. It's never going to get answered. But now, you, know, you may get into this. So there's another theory, but let me know when you. Well, Boyer's story is only account of what happened. So, um, and it's long been called into questions. Inconsistencies between her version of events and details reported by other eyewitnesses or other witnesses, as well as circumstantial evidence, suggest she may have gone willingly to the motel with Cook. Then slipped out of the room in order to rob him rather than to escape. But maybe to rob him, maybe she had second thoughts. But like mm-hmm. you said, if she's going to rob him, why is she calling? Why is she calling the police? Why is she calling the police? It seems to me that you you know if you're going to rob, some, and you know I you know I travel a lot, and, and you you remember like yeah, it's it's funny what you do when you when you, someone rips you off. Mm-hmm. I was yeah, I had uh, a couple years ago I was in. Thailand, and I had just landed. I mean, literally just got to the hotel. And normally, I, I have two wallets when I travel. One that I'll just put a little bit of money in, and the other one I'll keep in the hotel with all my credit cards and, you know, cash, most of my cash, ID and stuff like that. Mm. But I had just landed, so I decided I'm going to walk to McDonald's, right, which was like a block and a half away. It was like 1230 at night. And so I'm walking to McDonald's. I thought I'd go there, get something to eat. I was starving. It was, you know, it was a 27-hour flight, whatever. So I'm jet-lagged. I'm tired. It's late. And I'm walking uh, down the street, and a, you know, a little street urchin come up to me, a, a, a street walker, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, hey, you want a date, that type of thing. And she's, she's like, you know, tapping on my leg. And so I had shorts on. And I was like, you know, no, I'm going to go meet my wife. Just saying anything to get rid of her. So, it, very brief encounter. I turned the corner to go where McDonald's was, and then something just came to my mind. I better check my wallet. And I'd be damned, it was gone. Mm-hmm. Now, my first reaction, what was it? I running back. Running back where the, where the whore is. <laughs> where she was at. Now, there's thousands of people on the street. You and know? they all look alike. <laughs> well, you can't tell them apart. <laughs> well, I mean, but there's thousands of people. There, There's, you know, train stations. I mean, you know, there's, there's traffic and uh, tuk-tuks and just everything. 
And you know, and and if I find her, what am I going to say to her? You know what I mean? It's like give me my damn money back. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, of course, she, she was long gone, and sure. and you know, I had to get all my credit cards back. I had to get you know, I had to they had to uh, wire me money. I mean, it was just a mess. But yeah, it's funny. Your reaction is, I got to get that back. I'm mm-hmm. going to get and yeah. and if I went and confronted her, who knows? You know, she may have kicked my ass, or she may have had someone there and somebody stabbed me. Yeah, yeah. It's just you know, it's just, but it's I think it's a human reaction to when you know you you run into something where you get ripped off is that you know to to go back and try to get your money back whatever well, it's not going to happen there were certain things on here um that did kind of now her role was always questioned in this but um well there now, is he a was, theory he was he was well yeah and there's another theory to this but she was now sam was deeply inebriated at the time mm-hmm. so you know when the inquest came the jurors, um, they they said, okay, his bizarre bizarre behavior was related to him being so drunk yeah, he was and, and state of dress. Mm-hmm. Now, in addition to this, um, cause testimony corroborated Franklin's version of events. You know, the mm-hmm. motel owner and the motel manager, and because both her and Franklin, they both passed lie detector tests. The coroner's jury ultimately accepted Franklin's explanation and returned it as a justifiable justifiable homicide. Mm-hmm. Now, with that verdict, authorities officially closed the case on Sam's death, okay? Mm-hmm. But some of his families and supporters, they rejected this whole version of events, as well as those given by Franklin and Carr. They, was, they believe... Mm-hmm. Now, remember how, now, how uh, successful he was. Right. And we had talked about how he was unique in that he, he was had, unique, and he'd set up all these companies. He owned, um, and he had rights to his own material, which was rare at the time. And what we probably, you know, we talked a little bit about it, Colonel, about uh, the the artists that were ripped off, and um, you know, yeah. they didn't own their own rights to their own music. So he those, owned all the rights. He did own all his rights, but for the ones who were ripped off, the ones who. Uh, who were taken advantage of? A lot of times, the the recording companies and the managers they had mob connections. Yeah, and so there was nothing you could do, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the theories here is that this was a mob hit. Uh, well, one of the theories is that um, because sing- Edda James, the singer, saw Sam Cooke's body before his funeral, and she said. That the injury she saw went well beyond what was on the official reports. Mm-hmm. She said Cook was beaten so badly that his head was damn near separated from his shoulders, his hands were broken and crushed, and his nose was mangled. Which goes back to your theory, why do you beat someone up over the head with a broomstick after you shot him? Exactly. Now, some people believe that Cook's manager, Alan Klein, may have had a role in his death. Klein owned Tracy Limited. Mm-hmm. which ultimately owned all the rights to Cook's recordings. Mm-hmm. So with Cook out of the way, yeah, all remember. those things come straight to him. He had the most, when you look at who's got, you know, the, most, got to the gain. most to gain, yeah. he had an awful lot to gain. Mm-hmm. But, you know, those are all speculations. Nobody really knows. Um, he had thousands of people came to his to mourn him. Mm-hmm. Um, Ray Charles, Lou Rawls, they both sang at the funeral in Los Angeles. You mentioned Etta James. Etta James. There was another service held in his hometown in Chicago, and um, 
Now, the year after his death, Cook's record company released the song A Change Is Gonna Come. And remember, he was he was an excellent songwriter, and mm-hmm. he uh, he wrote this civil rights anthem in response to uh, Bob Dylan's "Blowing in the Wind," mm-hmm. and it was it was his most political song, the most political song he'd ever ever yeah, written. Yeah, this is at the, you know at the, the height of the civil rights movement, uh, Dr. King's um, uh, march uh, on Washington. Yeah, and he and sadly. Um, now, Sam had been married twice. His first was to a singer and dancer. He, he lived kind of a... I mean, he had some tragedy in his life. Um, he was married to a singer-dancer, Dolores Cook. Um, she was killed in an auto accident in 1959. And uh, they, had been, they had just gotten divorced at that time, and although they were divorced... Um, Sam paid for all the expenses of his ex-wife's funeral. Yeah. Um, now, him and his second wife, Barbara, had three children, um, Linda, Tracy, and Vincent. And Vincent, um, right the year right before Sam died, um, was two years old, drowned in a family swimming pool. Yeah, so he had, a, um, he had a lot of tragedy in his short you know, 33 years. A lot of success, but a lot of... Yeah. Lot of now, things. he also fathered a couple other children out mm-hmm. of wedlock to- Denise Somerville and Keith Bowling. Now, the motel manager, Bertha Franklin, says she had received numerous death threats after Sam, shooting Mr. Sam Cook. Yeah, um, I can imagine that. I mean, you know, it's... And, and beating him with a broomstick. <laughs> yeah. um, she yeah. left the position at the Hacienda Motel and did not disclose where she had moved. And uh, she went to the... Uh, what's the place that leaves a line on for you? <laughs> motel 6? Hey, motel 6. Yeah. yeah. She, <laughs> she went to the Motel Sticks. Yeah. Um, after being cleared by a coroner's jury, she sued Cook's estate. Oh, man, that's fucking Yeah, cold. she cited physical injuries and mental anguish suffered as a result of the of Cook's attack. That's bullshit. That's like a guy suing um, the, the congresswoman that he shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> she sought $200,000 in damages. Now, Barbara Womack, she was a lawyer for the estate. She countersued on behalf of the estate and just asked for $7,000 to cover the funeral expenses. Mm-hmm. Um, Alyssa Boyer provided testimony to support Franklin in the case. In six, 1967, a ru- jury ruled in favor of Franklin on both counts, awarding her $30,000 in damages. Now, uh, 1986, jump forward, Cook was inducted as a charter member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. 1987, he was inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame. 1999, Cook was honored with the Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award, and in 2004, Rolling Stone ranked him on 16th on the list of 100 greatest artists of all time. Wow. Um, And in 2008, Cook was named the fourth greatest singer of all time by Rolling Stone. And to tell you who, ironically, was ahead of him, um, you had Ray Charles at number three, Mm -hmm. um, Elvis at number two, Mm -hmm. and Aretha Franklin at number one. Wow. Some good company there. Yeah. Yeah, And June 2011, the city of Chicago renamed a portion of East 36th Street near Cottage Avenue as the honorary Sam Cooke Way as a way to remember the singer near a corner where he hung out and sang as a teenager. You know, you wonder if had he lived like uh, 
you know, like, you know, same with Buddy Holly. Mm. Had those guys lived, what kind of careers they would have, I mean. Yeah, what would they have been of, yeah. sustained it. Yeah. Be- because, you know, music was changing then well, as when well. when he was getting old, I mean, yeah. he was getting up there. Well, he was. He went. He was in. I think he was thirty-three. But that was old for that time. But, but right. But the music was changing too. Yeah. I mean, you were going now and toward the mid '60s, mm-hmm. and and you know, uh, you would go into more. Uh, well, you were getting a lot more. Now, Sam Cooke was a, um, and, and it's funny. Sam Cooke had this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful voice. Um, but he wasn't considered soulful mm-hmm. like the other, like Ray Charles, right. like Lou Rawls, like um, and, and like. You know, and Ray, you had Sly and the Family Stone right. groups like that. And you had Ray out. Charles who was able to make those transitions. He yeah. transitioned. I mean, he did country he was music. Blues, he was he country. Blues, he was yeah, a little everything. bit of everything. Now, what if Sam Cook? Maybe Sam Cook would have been able to, you know, do that. It was kind of like it's kind of like when we did uh, I did a podcast with Scott on Hank Williams. Mm-hmm. It's like the music was changing right then. I yeah. mean, he died in the, you know mm-hmm. uh, late fifties, so I mean it was the time when music was you know was changing. And there's questions to whether the artist was been able to change right. with the times. Not many, not many have you know in in but he certainly had an impressive uh, you, you, uh body of work if for, you look at the people he's influenced i mean he's influenced people from and and being a fan i can tell you who uh one person who if you listen to him the voices are different but the song stylings the writings the phrasing the are very very similar as rod stewart Mm-hmm. Um, Rod Stewart mm-hmm. said he was said that Sam Cooke was his biggest influence. Um, Steve Perry from Journey, obviously, or Garfunkel said mm-hmm. he was his biggest influence. Um, and a man that now this might surprise you, his said his biggest influence um, was Sam Cooke. Well, two Michael Jackson mm-hmm. and Tupac Shakur. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you had, you know, you had them and you, it, but you're, you, you make a good point. There's not many, you know, the people I just named off here, like, you know, sustainability. Now, Rod Stewart's been around forever, and mm-hmm. he, but he, he hasn't made, it's very difficult. And, you know, I'm a huge Bruce Springsteen fan. Right. It's very right. difficult for artists to continue doing what they're doing and stay relevant, or right. they become like the Beach Boys and become a novelty act or a right. nostalgia act. Remember when Rod Stewart had that awful disco? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you think I'm sexy? It, or what? You know, the shame of it is Rod Stewart is just a tremendous songwriter. He's he, a great, he, great and he is. I mean, you look at and some he of the stuff. He had a tremendous that. career. He well, he came into this thing and he he was a uh, he was a rock and roll singer. Mm-hmm. And then he be- got into that disco period. Yeah. Then he came out after that and became a pop artist that yeah. had just tons and tons yeah. of number one hits. Then but he went. In, then he went on to this. Um, he started doing the classics. The classic. Yeah. The, the yeah yeah the uh, yeah he was doing you know. Uh, He's figured out a way Frank to keep Sinatra, the revenue streams coming. Yeah, uh, coming you in. know yeah the he he became a uh, he was able to. Adjust as, as time went on, but uh, w- whether Sam Cooke would have been able to do that's hard to tell. But certainly, in his time, he had an impressive body of work, and uh, like we said, like twenty nine top forty hits. You know, at thirty three, I mean, my God, that's uh, 
you know, it was a different time, and and you know, music was different then, and yeah. the played was different. You know, I mean, you had, you, had uh, you know, it's a lot different now with the iTunes and uh, well, and music. Sam Cooke was just going to be running up against the Beatles, and and yeah, you're exactly right. People do not, um, you know, Mr. Taylor obviously is in a band. Mm-hmm. And his, he hasn't reached that level of success yet, but one of his uh, best friends has reached a certain level of success, mm-hmm. enough success that they do all the major festivals, they uh, they tour Europe, they tour the United States. Um, they don't sell records, mm-hmm. you know, and they don't make money off of iTunes. Right. And, you know, the way you make your money is selling your T-shirts and selling concert tickets. Yeah. You know, that's how you have to make your money. The days tough, of selling records are over. It's a tough business. I, I I heard Steven Tyler say one time that there was a brief period when you could really make a lot of money in music. Yeah. And it was like from 1970 to like 1979. Yeah. And... Uh, you know that was the time that you know people may if you were you know if you were uh, if you were you know if you were a well known act during that time you mm-hmm. can make a ton of money but it, otherwise it's it's pretty tough going to make well, I guess they make money I guess they make money on the on iTunes but now, you know not much in in um, to just give you something that I noticed is uh, you know years ago when. As I said, I'm a huge Bruce Springsteen fan, so I bring that up quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but born in the USA, mm-hmm. I mean, it's sold, you know, it's sold in the 15, 20 million album range. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the number one album. And now he has managed, he continues to put out albums. Mm-hmm. You know, and he had his, um, one of his last albums that he put out was called Wrecking Ball. Not to be confused with that. Trashy, hoe bag, slimy, disgusting little Miley Cyrus tongue sticking out, <laughs> skanky dog. You know, I knew her dad, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't. He, he played in the area around where I lived. Who stole his album title after he'd had the album out for a year and then she had an album cover. But anyway, to get to the point, Wrecking Ball, when he released it, went to number one on the, on the charts. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know how many albums he sold the first week it came out to me? How many? Fifty-five thousand. Wow. I mean, compare that to yeah. You know, nobody. So they've actually changed the numbers of albums you have to sell to be platinum and be gold and be because, because nobody sell, nobody nobody, nobody, buy, nobody sell, buys albums anymore. Yeah. Now he is he's he's done something interesting and is a fan. You know that. Uh, um, you know he, he's had these great albums: The River, Darkness on the Edge of Town, mm-hmm. Born to Run. What he does is remasters and re-releases them on the thirtieth anniversary. Oh, okay. So you know he mm-hmm. makes he keeps his revenue streams. But going. You, but you know and that's an interesting point for new groups, so for new bands and new artists trying to come up. You know, you go sometimes in some of these uh, uh, venues and you see, you know, fifty people. And mm-hmm. you think, you know, 70, 80 people. And you think, how in the world are they making any money off right. of this? Well, they're not. Yeah. They're not. And I know, you know, my son being a musician, he he did nine. Now, the band that he was opening for, they were guaranteed, I believe, $2,000 a night, $2,000 mm-hmm. a show. 
Taylor's band was guaranteed three hundred dollars a show. Mm-hmm. You know, so they were, mm-hmm. and now you're driving from one city to the next. You're staying in. Although Taylor made the Taylor being friends with the other band, he made them pay for their hotel room every night. Right. But, uh, but you're right. I mean, you're either you're either couch surfing. Or, yeah. or you're sleeping in a van, or you're, yeah. or you're taking the expense of a, of a motel, and you got gas, you got the travel expenses, and you got to divvy that three thousand dollars up between I don't know how many people's in this van, but it's hard to it's hard to make well, a living. Well, and the other thing that's changed too with the internet is that people want to always be discovering the next big thing. You know, you have. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to give you an example. There's a group I like called the Ava Brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, and anybody that's listening to us, if you know the Ava Brothers, give them a shout out on the page because you need to listen to them. They're a great band. Uh, and, but they were kind of, and, and very much with the Kings of Leon, a similar thing mm-hmm. happened. They were kind of, uh, had a kind of a cult following. Mm-hmm. And as they became more and more popular, people became a little mad at them because the mainstream now. they wanted to be the only people who knew right, about them, you right. know, and the internet's it's caused such like, a it's short kind of attention like history span. Well, yeah. We, I, I worry about us uh, jumping the shark, Colonel. Well, we got our haters, you know, I mean, you can read <laughs> iTunes and you know that other people from other podcasts are leaving those negative reviews. No, nah, that's not true. The person who said the Colonel sound like Falco and Leghorn, you know we got a podcast somewhere. No, I think He's he living in his damn mama's basement. <laughs> He doing a podcast about, you know, model trains or some shit. Huh? I think Scott left that one. <laughs> well, Scott, you rat <laughs> bastard. No, Scott corrected him. He called you he called you Longhorn Foghorn. Yeah. Leghorn Foghorn. Leghorn Foghorn. <laughs> Scott, cor- yeah, Scott gave us three stars and corrected the bastard. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, uh, okay, but, Colonel. So I promised, you know, Rudy's legions of fans. Rudy does have quite a following. That I would dedicate five minutes of his podcast to allow you to brag on Rudy, Rudy Baker. What's his, Rudy Baker Clarence? Rudy Baker. Rudy Baker Clarence. Clarence, after Clarence Clemens, the legendary saxophonist from the E Street Band. Did you name him Rudy after the movie? No, he was named Rudy when we got him. Oh, okay. I thought you may have Rudy was, uh, and, and uh, the, the beginning story of Rudy was... Rudy and his mother were found in an abandoned house. Okay. Um, six puppies. Okay. And the mama. The mama did not abandon the puppies. Well, she was um, a good mom. Yeah, she was a beagle. The okay. mother was a beagle. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was taken to a rescue. Mm-hmm. And I, my boys were getting ready to go to college, and I knew that I was going to need some kind of buffer between. You had um, an empty nest. Well, I was still going to have Logan at home. Oh, yeah, Logan was out. And I need Sorry, Logan. <laughs> well, no, Logan. but Logan, Logan is very, he's much smarter than the twins. Mm-hmm. And Logan also realized that this was going to be an every man for himself situation. <laughs> yeah. He didn't want all that attention. He did not want the attention. <laughs> and he did not want his mother's attention directed at him. Right, I can understand. So he that. was doing everything he could to make sure that her laser like focus stayed on me. Yeah. Well, I did not want that. Mm-hmm. And I'd also realized that, you know, I had stopped coaching baseball teams and basketball teams. And the colonel was, uh, as one of my boys told me, Dad, you need to find yourself something to do. You're driving people crazy. <laughs> so I decided I was getting myself a dog, Timmy. Okay. 
And uh, every good colonel need a dog, a sidekick. Yeah, yeah um, sure. and, and, and the dog have to have to be, you know, coon hound some. Yeah. So, in case you want to go hunting. Yeah, in case you want to go hunting and whatnot. Yeah. And, uh, or you have raccoons coming up. Or you have, yeah, whatever you need. Yeah. And uh, so, Renee, to Mrs. Colonel, she's an evil woman, evil, evil woman. And she said, no, she's very anti dog. Mm-hmm. And I said, look here, woman, we've been married 25 years. Mm-hmm. I ain't never put my foot down on anything. But the thing you can bet on, bet your ass on, is I'm coming home with a dog. Now, Renee, knowing this was argument she was not going to win. And see, I needed this dog to be a buffer between me and her. Yeah, I understand. So, Renee, being a reasonable person, said, okay, I've gotten my way for 25 years. I'm going to give him this. Mm-hmm. But she also realized this was a way to make my life miserable, Timmy. Because she took a steno pad mm-hmm. and she wrote out a list of rules. Was it quite extensive? It was very extensive. She made me sign it. I believe she may have had a notary come in and take care of this. <laughs> and it said, Renee Walters will not walk the dog. Renee Walters will not feed the dog. Renee Walters will not buy dog food at Kroger Fourth said dog. She questioned your, uh, your uh, ability to be responsible? She did. Mm-hmm. And so I filled out the application for the rescue, Timmy. Mm-hmm. And I... Uh, Got approved. And it was the proudest day of my life. I'm going to say, how did you ever pass that background check? I have no idea. They must must have been desperate. Yeah, they must have been desperate, and it must be real cursory. So they told me that... uh, It didn't include Google, I'm sure. Timmy, I could could go over to China and adopt a baby easy, and you can get a dog from a rescue. (laughs) I had to take pictures of my yard. Uh, I I believe I was fingerprinted. I'm not sure. That's a good thing. Um, So anyway, you know, it's the proudest day of my life. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the, they told us that they was I was on adoptapet.com. That's where I found the letter. Mm-hmm. And they told us he was half Beagle. They knew the mother was Beagle and the father was a dachshund. Mm-hmm. So that fit into, that's the only thing I had to give Renee's permission was on the size of the dog. It had to be under 25 pounds. Mm-hmm. So that fit the criteria. Okay. And uh, she made, she, so they said, you're approved. Come up and look at him Saturday. And I said, okay. Now, Renee went with me. She's got a, you know, she got the mean body. You know how women got that body language and that just vibe they give off that mm-hmm. says, you know, I'm I'm evil. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a, I'm a bad here, person. She's here under protest. Right here under protest, yes. Yeah. And uh, I, I said to the girls, I said, look here, girls. It was in a foster family, and I said they was only eight weeks old, ten weeks. I said, girls, now, look here. Which one of these dogs is your favorite? And the both girls said, oh, Rudy. And I said, really? Why, why Rudy? And they said, oh, he's by far the most playful, the most fierce, and the most cuddly. Mm-hmm. So I said, well, let me see Rudy. So the woman owns, picks up Rudy, hands Rudy to me, and right about the time Rudy is actually going to hit my hands, mm-hmm. Mrs. Colonel snatches that dog <laughs> from that woman. And it's doing that whole woman, oh, look at this little face, look at this little blah, blah, blah. And this some bitch dog, knowing which side of the bread his butter is right, on. Right, right. He was going to make the decision. Drops his shoulder right on his, drops his head right on his shoulder, starts licking on the face. I wonder if they trained them to do that. Some bitch, they have been inseparable ever since, Timmy. I don't even really even have a dog. <laughs> You may have to get another one. 
I know. I have to get another one. You know what my son told me? He said, if you get another one, Mom's just going to have two dogs, and you still ain't going to have none. So, Rutabaker is fierce. He's a, he's a big mama's boy. Mm-hmm. Um, but he is, he, and what we found out is they hooked us all up, everybody that adopted from that litter on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Rutabaker is not half Beagle and half Dachshund. What is he? Rutabaker is half German Shepherd and half Beagle. Oh, really? The other five in the litter were half Dachshund and half Beagle. Uh-oh. Apparently, his mama was kind of a whore. It sounds like it. Well, well maybe, his, no, not, maybe not a whore, but she sleeps with Nazis, apparently. With a stray, yeah, she does sleep with Nazis. And with a stray, they just pour a train on the poor doggy. That, that's just, awful. The dogs line up one right after another, and if the, for the egg don't get fertilized by the first one, it'll get fertilized by the second yeah. one. Well, so that, Ruta, that can happen in adults, too, you know. You can it have, can. Yeah. yeah, they just, this woman had a set of twins. And then, you know, um, they made a big story about that. She had a set of twins, and they were from mm-hmm. different parents. But, you know, I worked in child support for a while, and we mm-hmm. had a woman who had twins. Father, paternity was established for one of the babies. We ruled out, like, nine guys for the second one. No kidding. Yeah. But, you know, and it was in the news this week, like, how rare that is. Yeah. I didn't realize it was that rare. Mm-hmm. But uh, it does happen. So so Rudy is really, they're just his half-brothers and sisters. They're his half-brothers and sisters. Um, but, uh, yeah, I noticed this because we're comparing pictures, and woman, one woman said, well, can you believe that Jed is up to 22 pounds now? I said, 22 pounds? What the hell are you talking Rudy's up to 45 pounds. This dog ain't have dachshund. So I took him to the vet. Rudy's up to 65 pounds now. He's uh, He would take on any other animal that you that he, he loves to chase deer. Mm-hmm. He never catches them, of course. Mm-hmm. He will chase a rabbit, and occasionally he'll corner it and catch it, but he mm-hmm. doesn't do anything to him. Mm-hmm. And he's probably the finest, uh, finest canine, really, uh, it, listeners, you can throw pictures of your dogs up on the page, but I would venture to say Rudy's the, the most handsome. Um, he's a good dancer. Um, good, da- he can sing. Um, he's good at math. He's good at math, Rudy's, and surprisingly, for a dog, he's a damn good bowler. Tim is he? He's a surprisingly good bowler. Does he pool well? Hmm? Does he shoot pool? No, but he does play poker. Oh, okay, he okay. does play poker. Okay. Well, so, he sounds like the perfect companion. He is the perfect companion. Um, he's not a. He's not a. And the thing, Rudy's a gentleman dog. Mm-hmm. So if you ladies, if you come over to the Colonel house, Rudy not going to stick his nose right in your crotch. Yeah, he'll he'll open the door for you. He'll open the door for you. Yeah, get you. He'll even get you a drink. Mm-hmm. Put some ice cubes in there. Mm-hmm. So yeah. now the only thing I can't break him of is licking himself. Well, but yeah, you, but you can't break yourself of that. <laughs> well, you know why he does that. <laughs> Because he can. Well, of course. <laughs> Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? So, okay. So that's the story of Rudy. That's the story of Rudy. So, so the great Rudy Baker War can be settled. And yes. So we, I hope that Rudy can listen again to our podcast. So, okay, Colonel, where can people find us? Well, people, the best place to find us is on, on the iTunes. Um, yeah, we're on iTunes. We leave us a message. Leave us a review, please. Um, a positive. Unless review. you're gonna call me Foghorn Leghorn, <laughs> then you can kiss my ass. Just turn it to another podcast. I don't care if you like. I don't it think that not. was on there. I think it was on the. I think it was on a uh, on our. I don't know where it was, but I don't think um, it was on iTunes. We got the two pages on Facebook. We got the History Dweebs page, which which is a much more serious page. It's. Uh, this day in history, historic events, birthdays, whatever. If you're a serious history geek, follow that one. 
Um, and then we got the History Dweebs podcast page where basically people, it's just people come in and have conversations about whatever the hell they want to yeah, have. Yeah, we're having a lot of fun with that page. We, we have a lot, of inter, a lot of interaction with a lot of to very, go. very interesting people. Yes. Um, now, most of the people... They I, seem to like serial killers. They like serial killers. They're a little bit offbeat. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them are just damn unhinged. Um, yes. But... All very attractive. Uh, we do have an attractive following, Timmy. Yeah, yeah. We do have an attractive following. I've noticed that. Colonel still ain't got a stalker. Um, had somebody volunteer, but she still ain't stalked me. Yeah. Um, yeah, but that, that'll come, I suppose. I, well, um, let's hope. Let's hope. So, yeah, uh, that's the History Dweeb Podcast Facebook group. Look us up. Uh, you send us a request, and we'll approve you. We approve anyone. We don't do background checks. We do not. Uh, if we did, we would have a very small group. <laughs> yeah, we would. Um, but check us out on Twitter. We're at History Dweebs One, and as the Colonel said, you can find us on iTunes. And that's all we have for now. So we'll see y'all again next time on History Dweebs. Good day, listeners. Bye bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.